Welcome to Messy Modern Ministry, a resource where we equip leaders to navigate the ups and downs of ministry in our modern world. My name is Kristen. And I'm Joe. And we are so excited to have you join us today. On this episode, we have Pastor Sam Luce of Redeemer Church in Utica, New York. He is also a podcaster. His podcast is The Audiocast by Sam Luce, and he has a blog, samluce.com. So, Pastor Sam, welcome. Thanks for having me. Can you just go into your history? I know you've been a minister for 22 years. Can you just tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Yeah, I, uh, I want to be a youth pastor. I went to college and I did a... Uh, so basically how I got into kids ministry is like everyone else's. I got I got tricked. <laughs> I drove across the country and I started working with the youth ministry at, at the church here in Utica. And, uh, and one of the elders sat me down and said, hey, you're actually kids pastor. So that was, a, <laughs> so that was a, that was interesting, you know, and so God worked it out and, and I was the kids pastor here for 14 years. And, uh, then I, I transitioned to became the campus pastor at our Utica campus. During that same time, I became the, the pastor of families and that's what I do full time for the last like five, five years or so. I stopped being the campus pastor. Now I'm, I oversee all of our uh, kids and youth programs from birth to college at all our locations. That's awesome. 22 years is honestly incredible. As somebody who does youth ministry, I hear that the the average is something like... I think it's actually 18 months, I think. It's pretty brutal. The stats are pretty brutal. Some leaders, they, they clock out after that time frame as well, not necessarily youth ministers. Why, why do you think that is? I think I think there's a lot of contributing factors. I mean, I think um, I think part of it is our culture in North America is not geared in any way towards suffering and pain. And so anytime we feel something that is in the wheelhouse of suffering and pain whatsoever, we run. We run away rather than run to Christ. And because of that, I think what happens is that it creates this this pattern of unsettledness where we continually run from when a problem crops up, we we run from what we're doing to something else, thinking that will be that'll solve our problems instead of running to Christ. And so I think that's part of it is that we don't have the stomach for suffering and pain that, that was assumed and modeled by, you know, the apostles in the early church. I think part of it, again, is this idea of success, how we view success. People that are um, not successful quit out of discouragement and people that are successful look at their calling as a career. And so they leave the church that they're in for a bigger one. Hmm. And so I think that there's a lot of contributing factors and a lot of them go to this idea of how do we see the church? How do we view the church? And how do we view the, the, the vocation as pastor? There's a lot of confusion in the good things that we learn from, from the secular business world. We can learn a lot of great things about leadership, but I think there's a lot of not so great things that leak over as well that we're driven by success, that we find our significance in how many people attend, that we count how many people come instead of counting to see who's missing. And all these things are drivers that create an unsettledness that I think really affects our quote unquote happiness. And I think people get discouraged and they feel overwhelmed because the vocation of pastor is not an easy vocation. It's a vocation that that requires uh, a lot of trust. It requires a lot of prayer. It requires a lot of, there's, there's a lot of personal suffering that goes along with it that nobody sees. Most people go to two funerals in their life 
pastors go to multiple, multiple funerals a year. And the thing is, you don't get a chance to even finish mourning because because Wednesday's coming or Sunday's coming. You just do the funeral and then move on. You don't even get a chance to fully process that always. And so what happens is, is that, that there is the emotional aspect of, of, of walking, walking with people through this path towards death and dealing with difficulty and loss. Like it's, it's a, it's a perpetual wound as a pastor. If to truly suffer and identify through people is to, is to walk through life with a perpetual wound. And you don't see that on Instagram. You don't see that on Facebook. And so when you bump up against that, for some people, I think it can be overwhelming. And for actually for every person, it's overwhelming. The, the question is, is where do you run when you feel that sense of overwhelming? Do you run towards, towards things that aren't Christ or do you run to Jesus? Wow. So on this episode, our main topic is going to be soul care and kind of caring for your pastoral soul. Can you tell us a little bit about what is soul care? Like, how do you define it? Yeah, I think it's I think it's one of those terms that that there's so many different ideas of what it is. You got on one end, you got like uh, you know this ascetic idea where you have to go up into a mountain and and live in a cave, you know, and then you got this other idea where it's uh, you know it's 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 a facial and a manicure. So I, I think it's I think it's maybe somewhere in the middle of that. I think somewhere <laughs> uh, soul care is I think to me is this is it is it's saying how am I living the message I'm proclaiming. How, how are the messages that I'm preparing and the messages that I'm preaching, how are, they, how are they being preached to myself first? How am I growing in the likeness of Christ? Is my love for Christ greater today than it was three, six months ago? If the answer is no, then, then you're not, I don't think you're caring for your soul properly. You're not, you're not growing in your likeness of Christ. Because as a pastor, the thing is, is sometimes you can feel like we're, we're event coordinators. Sometimes you can feel like we're we're counselors or we're advice dispensers. But the reality is this, is that we are first and foremost followers of Christ. And for you to lead well, you have to learn how to follow Christ well. Yeah. If you are not doing that, then what happens is if, uh, then you will not be, you will not be effective in the vocation of pastoral ministry. Because what you'll you'll be doing is you'll, you'll be a manager of, of information, you'll be a you'll be putting on events and you'll do these things. But really, the real transformation that happens in the lives of the people that we lead happens as a result of the work of the Spirit. And it is it is God's Holy Spirit that transforms people's hearts, that turns it, turns their hearts from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. Like I can't do that. You can't do that. Uh, that's a work that that God can do. But what we can do is we can create opportunities and we create places where people can meet with God in such a way that their heart is transformed. We can point them over and over relentlessly to Christ in such a way that they see Jesus as beautiful. They see the gospel as their only hope. And so for us, what we have to do is we have to realize that that is what's true. The, the first person that we preach to is ourselves. And when we're, we're preaching this message, we don't think, man, this is going to be really good for that one kid who's, who's always annoying or who's you know, this family that's super messed up. The gospel has to be reapplied to our lives daily. It has to be reapplied to our lives every single day in order for us to be able to, to remember because we, we forget. We forget. And so I use a couple of metaphors in, um, for that is that it's a garden to be tended and it's a war to be won. And I think those that kind of show us the, the picture of what it means to fight for 
the sanctification of our, of our soul. How do we uh, take care of our soul is that we fight and we plant and we wait and we cry out to God. And we, it's, it's an active passivity that that's what um, Francis Schaeffer calls it. It's we're actively seeking God. We're actively going after him. And, but we're also passively saying, God, only you can do it. We believe and we know that only you can do it because if we can achieve it, if our church growth depends upon our brilliance and all these plans that we've come across, like when our church fails to grow, it's, it's our fault. Right. right. So because we take the credit, we also take the blame. And I think a lot of pastors feel too much. They take too much pride and they become, they become arrogant in the fact of how, uh, how well their church is doing, but also they, they, they fall into despair when things don't go the way they do. And the reality is, is where we should be is this is say, God, help me to be faithful. Help me to be faithful with what you've given me in such a way that more people hear the gospel, more people come, but that I am not, that I am not overinflated by the praise of men, that I'm not defeated by the, by the anger and by the, by the comments that people make that, and in the discouragements of, of loss. Sometimes we have too much pride in it, take too much responsibility for it. We think our church rises and falls with us and our performance and our events and how we speak. And, you know, that's just not the case. It is, it is ultimately the, the Lord's. But I think for some leaders as well, it might be hard to find the line of responsibility for the flock as well. Yeah. You know, there's this level of, you know, the Lord has given you people to shepherd as a pastor but then there's also this level of ultimately, though, you can't make them change their ways. You can't make them turn their lives around, you know. And But I think that that balance sometimes for leaders might be hard of, of feeling a responsibility, but maybe more than they are supposed to take. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. Totally does. And, and I think the balance is, I think, in Philippians, you know, in uh, Philippians 2, it says, it says that you're supposed to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And uh, when I was growing up, that's the part of the passage I heard. They didn't read the rest of the other half. And, and I think it's important because I think both are important. It's work out your own salvation with fear and tre- trembling. This is how we're supposed to lead. We work out our own salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who's at work in you both the will and to for its good purposes. That part is so important. So there is our effort that isn't required in, in leading people and loving people. And there is effort in, in the care of our own soul, but it is the assurance that we have that our efforts will be fruitful is not in the results that we can see, but in the, in God's promise that he's at work in us to do his goodwill, not to accomplish what we wish he would do, but that he says that he's going to do it according to his goodwill. So this is what it is, is our effort is never wasted. Hmm. And this is what can bring huge encouragement to us as leaders is that every every effort that we make towards explaining the gospel towards reaching people for for christ towards uh showing others the love of christ in a practical way none of that is wasted even if we see no results from it what we don't see is what god sees and that's him at work in people's hearts and in people's lives that he's going to do what he's going to do in a way that only he can do it but our job is to work in conjunction with that and god ordains the ends he decides how everything's going to happen but he also ordains the means he he uses us and that is a huge responsibility it's a huge it's a huge thing for us to do and we have to make sure that we are saying god i want to know you more and, and it requires effort from us but realizing that the person behind that effort the person that gives us even the power to do those things is is god himself is the spirit of god at work in us 
Now, Pastor Sam, just from hearing you speak and, and knowing you for a number of years, I know that a part of the reason that you struggled in your walk with Christ is that you didn't properly understand the difference between justification and sanctification. Can you go into that a little bit for us? Yeah, I think, I think it's a huge issue. I, for me, um, for me personally, what I've found through Scripture is this, is I always thought justification was something which I participated in. I thought it was something that I, I obtained, that if I was a good enough kid, if I did all these things right, if I did my Bible study, if I stayed away from the movie theater, if I didn't smoke, I didn't drink, if I did all these things, then I could be good enough in such a way that when I chose God, He would respond and love me. And then I thought that when He did choose me, right? That what I thought was that he would make me holy. This is where I would, uh, where I've changed, I think, in, in my thinking is where you see what, what Paul says in Ephesians and in Galatians. And what you see, what he says is this, it says that while we are dead in our trespasses, God and his great mercy came to us. And so what I've come to believe and understand what, what I think that the scripture is saying is this, is this reality is that, that God saves us by his grace, and that he makes us holy and he comes alongside of us and says, I have, I have saved you. And it isn't, it isn't because of anything that you did. It wasn't because you are better than anyone else. It isn't because you are, you did good things. It's because of my great mercy that I saved you that we can't boast in our goodness. That's what Paul says. If it was because of us being good, then we would boast in that and say, I am better than everybody else. And, and I did that for a long time. But what he was, what, what he's saying is, is this, is that God saves us by his, by his grace declares us holy and says, now be holy. Hmm. So in declaring us holy, we, we are like him when he saves us. But at the same time, he's saying this, now, now be holy. What does that mean? That means that, that there is a requirement of us to live in such a way as we've been called to live. There's a requirement of us to walk in holiness that God's spirit comes alongside us and helps us to, to walk that. But it isn't just, I've been saved, I, you know, I'm, I'm holy, I'm good, I'm, I can do whatever I want. A person that says that isn't isn't saved. A person that says I can live however I want isn't a person who has been constrained by the gospel and in, in such a way that you say that Jesus is enough for me. Jesus is beautiful to me. That I want to live my life to please and honor Him for who He is, for what He's done, because because I see Him as my greatest treasure. And so, to me, uh, when you mix those up, I think what happens is is it affects the way that you walk. You either walk carelessly. Or you walk thinking that your efforts earn God's, God's love and God's favor and God's trust in your life, rather than the fact that because he loves you, because he sees you as his own, you say, God, I want to live in light of the reality of who, who you say I am, even when I don't feel it, even when I don't see it. And, that, and that's part of it is I think sometimes in caring for our souls, we can begin to become beaten down and overwhelmed by the difficulties and by the relentless wave of Sunday after Sunday, Wednesday after Wednesday, that we, we start to look at what our, our vocation as a job rather than, rather than a calling. It's not a career, it's a calling. It's we've been set apart to do this. And, when, and, and for me, the thing that always brings me back to that when I feel overwhelmed, when I feel that is I go back to the sense that, God, when I was 12 years old, you called me to do this. Mm-hmm. And I know that that no matter what happens, that I'm doing exactly what you've called me to do. God, help me to live in light of the call of God upon my life. And I think that's, that's true for pastors, but it's, it's true for all of us. We have to live in light of the fact that we have been justified by grace through Christ alone, uh, by faith alone. And so here, here's the thing. 
uh, for us is that when we understand that, what it does is it frees us to truly love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then as a result of that, the evidence of our love for God is seen in how do we love other people? How do we care and love other people, including ourselves? So obviously, as you're talking about it, soul care is so important for continuing to live out this calling. And the reality is sometimes there are leaders who might have to take a step back and remember that this isn't just a job. If it is just a job, maybe it doesn't seem worth it to them anymore. You know, if you're tired enough, if you're if you're beat down enough, whatever, yeah. whatever it may be. But sometimes getting back to that that place of feeling spiritually healthy, emotionally healthy takes a while. So what would be your encouragement for people who who feel like they maybe don't even have the fight in them? You know, you're talking about it's a war. Well, I think I think one of the things that we want in America is that we love, like uh, I've been blogging for several years and, and my blog posts that do the best are five ways to, or three tips for, and we love this recipe approach give me a formula that I can follow so I can get the result that I want. And the problem is in life, it isn't quite that simple. Uh, Francis Schaeffer calls them the mechanics. He said, these are, these are the mechanics that if I do these things, then I'm going to get the result that I want. And there is though, I think helpful guiding principles for us to say, okay, what are some things that I can do to fight for the care of my soul? How do I, how do I fight for that? How do I, how, because it is, it is a battle. It isn't something that we just sit back and say, Oh, God's going to, you know, God's got me and I'll just, you know, whatever, whatever's going to happen is going to whatever. That's, that's fatalism. Fatalism says whatever, whatever is, is. Spurgeon said, when someone asked him, they said, what's the difference between fatalism and providence? And he said, the difference between fatalism and providence is fatalism says whatever is, is. Providence says whatever God ordains must be. And so I think there's some guiding principles that we can see in our lives. And the, fir- the first thing is, is, is I think that we have to be, have to drink deeply from the word of God we have to allow the word of God to saturate our hearts and we have to be able to, to not just, not just look at it like as, as where can I find an illustration rather than opening your heart and saying, God, say whatever you need to say to me. God, open my eyes to see the beauty of the gospel in such a way that I would, I'm not even expecting it. Come by your spirit and illuminate the, the word of God in such a way that, that when I see even the obscure passages, I see Jesus. All of the Bible points to Jesus. All the Bible shows us what he's like. And I was reading Leviticus a while back and, and Leviticus is not the place that you're going to go to, to look for Jesus, right? It's not the place <laughs> right. you're going to go to to say, Hey, I need to be spiritually sustained. I need to be encouraged. But again, like God in his grace and his providence, he gave us all the things that we need for life and for godliness. A lot of times as Christians, we kind of like to park in the Pauline epistles or, or maybe in the gospels, depending upon how you're wired. But I want to encourage you, man. All of the Bible is useful and helpful and encouraging. And uh, in Leviticus, like if if you can be encouraged by Leviticus, you know, you're doing pretty good, you know. And um, (laughs) found this in Leviticus 14. I thought it was so powerful. It says this. It's talking about when when you have been cured from leprosy. How do you respond? It says this. If the priest comes and looks and if the disease has not spread to the house, talking about leprosy, after the house has been plastered, the priest will pronounce the house clean for the disease has been healed. And for all that are cleansed in the house, you shall take two small birds of cedarwood with a scarlet yarn and hyssop. You shall kill one of the birds in an earthenware vessel over fresh water. And you shall take the cedarwood and the hyssop and the scarlet yarn along with the live bird and dip it in the blood of the bird that was killed. The fresh water and sprinkle these in the house seven times. You shall cleanse the house and the blood of the bird with the fresh water and the live bird and the cedarwood and the hyssop and the yarn. 
and he shall let the live bird go out into the city into the open country and he shall make atonement for the house and it shall be clean. And I think what's so powerful about that is it's talking about this, but really like it's saying this, when you look at that passage, what it's really pointing to, I think very clearly is the fact that there's atonement for sin, that, yeah. that Christ was the bird that was killed, that we could go free, that we were the bird that was submerged in the water, cleansed with the blood and are able to go free into the open country because of the grace. And so when you read that, what happens is that isn't just random, weird Levitical rituals. It's Jesus revealing himself to us in, in an active illustration to say, this is, this is what I want you to do to prepare your heart for the reality that I'm going to send my son to do this in a perfect way. When you read the Bible in that way, in light of Christ, what happens is, is it begins to feed your soul. Am I ever going to preach about a bird being killed and submerged underwater? Am I, am I going to teach that to six-year-old kids? No, I'm not ever going to do that. But the, but the reality is, is what that does is that is God speaking to me saying, everything that we do is meaningful when done for the glory of God. And when we read the Bible, right, what happens is, is it allows us to see Jesus. And when we read it in that light, what happens is it's life-giving. We read the Bible to look for Christ. And that makes all the difference. We're, we're not using it as a tool in our tool chest to try to build a better church or a bigger ministry. What we're doing is we're, is we're using it as a scalpel to slice open our hearts and to reveal our sin and to show us Christ and to bring us to repentance. And I think the problem is so often is that when we read the Bible in a way that is we're mining for information, we're not being transformed by it. And eventually we're going to become so blind by our own sin that we can't even see. And, and, the, and the Bible becomes just a ritual that is no longer has the meaningful power and authority that it needs to have. We submit ourselves to scripture. When the scripture is right all the time and I am wrong. Whenever there's a contradiction, it's my, my inability to understand. It's not God's failure to communicate. Right. So that's the first thing. I think the next thing is set our affections on Christ. And I think this is a huge thing. Uh, setting our affection on Christ is what we're doing is we're looking to the past at what God's done for us and saying, God, thank you for what you've done. One of the ways that you know that someone has been transformed by the gospel, you say, what do you think of when you, when you think of Christ? What do you think of when you think about God? And when you think about how good he's been to you, that's how you know that their heart has been transformed and uh, not what he can do for you. It's what he has done for you in Christ is that's what you think. I love this. What C.S. Lewis says, he says in the screw tape letters, he says, nearly all vices are rooted in the future. Gratitude looks to the past, love to the present, but fear, avarice, lust, and ambition look ahead. And I think part of the reason why ministry leaders become frustrated in life is because their ambitions and their lust and their fear and their avarice are all looking forward. They're all looking forward instead of looking at the present, experiencing the love of God today and looking at the past in gratitude for what God has done in the past. And because of those two things, looking forward into the future with hope, wow. instead we look forward to like, how can I get a, how can I get more kids to come? How can I get more, a bigger church? How can I, how can I become more, more famous? And I think what Lewis is saying is this, is that all the, all the vices in our life are rooted in the in future, in the future saying, I want to get to this point. It's filled with avarice, fear. I'm f afraid of things that are going to happen. I want things that I don't have. I need to have this affirmation that I'm not getting. But when you, through the scriptures and through uh, relationships, experience the love of God in the present and you look back at what God has done, 
in the past, what happens is that gives you confidence to face the future, not knowing what it looks like, but knowing that the same God who rescued you in the past, who has been with you all through your life and who is presently with you is the same God who will be with you then. Francis Schaeffer says, says the real solution is being cast up into a moment by moment personal communion with God himself. That is part of the issue, I think, is that we don't live moment to moment aware of the grace and the mercy of God in our lives. We, we get so bogged down by details that we forget about the, our moment to moment communion with Christ, that we're aware of his goodness and his mercy to us. The first sin of Adam and Eve was, was, was believing that God was keeping something from you. It's, it was a failure of gratitude. Saying, God, thank you for all that we have. We don't need anything more. And what you prohibit, you do for a purpose. And I don't need to know what that is. Because you are God and I am not. That's good. So, Pastor Sam, as we wrap this up, are there any resources that really have helped you and can help some leaders that are really struggling with this soul care repair issue? I'd say Francis Schaeffer's True Spirituality. I found... Eugene Peterson's book, super helpful. Um, he has a book, uh, Christ Plays in 10,000 Places. Leading on Empty by, um, by Wayne Cordero is pretty good too. Another book I think that is super helpful for pastors is, I'm, I'm still reading it right now, but it is super convicting. And I'm only like, I'm like 60 pages in. I'm like almost halfway done. It's, it's, um, it's Under the Unpredictable Plant by Eugene Peterson. So it's, 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 he takes the life of Jonah and contrasts it to the life of a pastor and it's crazy convicting. And he was saying like in Jonah, he said this, he said that, that Jonah sinned in his, in his obedience and he sinned in his disobedience. So in his disobedience, he ran from God, but he moved. He didn't stay still. He heard the voice of God. And what he did is he went to the place of his, of his own choosing rather than God's choosing. Instead of going where God said go, he went where he felt he, he wanted to go rather than going where God wanted him to go. And then when he did go where God wanted him to go, he went with an attitude of, of anger and frustration, and he took out his anger on the people. And so he went to the right place, but he went with the wrong, or the wrong attitude. And it was crazy convicting uh, for me as a pastor. And with that, Pastor Sam Luce, thank you so much. Don't forget, guys, if you want to check out the church, it's myredeemerchurch.com, as well as uh, Pastor Sam's blog, samluce.com, or his podcast, The Audio Cast by Sam Luce. Pastor Sam, thank you so much for being on the show. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, guys. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you want to hear more, make sure you subscribe. Also, we would love to hear from you. So down below, you can leave us a review or a comment. Yeah, and you can also follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Messy Modern Ministry for any teasers or updates on future episodes. Have a great day, guys. Bye. <laughs>